Hi there, Kyle. It's Dave. Hey, Dave. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Yourself? Oh, doing very well. Good, good. Uh, I want to welcome you to the My Weightlifting Coach show. Thanks for doing this with us. Oh, thank you for asking me. Um, how are things there in Louisiana? Oh, everything's going good. Got some good training going on here, and um, things are just moving right along. Nice, nice. And you are a professor there at the university, and as well, you're doing the strength and conditioning? Uh, yeah, I'm a professor here, and I do help with the strength and conditioning. We're a small NAIA school, and uh, I help out all the teams. Oftentimes, uh, use uh, students uh, to gain experience uh, in strength and conditioning uh, by working with the different teams. We actually developed a, a curriculum now. We have a, a health program here uh, with different uh, tracks, physical therapy, therapy, pre-occupational uh, therapy, uh, and one of them is strength and conditioning. So we actually have a curriculum that uh, they can specialize in that here now. Okay, nice. Uh, how was it that you came across the sport of uh, weightlifting, Olympic-style weightlifting? Um, I, was, I, I was the uh, world's worst athlete, so I was always <laughs> looking for ways to, to, to get better there. It took me took me five years to get a half scholarship as an old-timey straight-ahead kicker at Western Kentucky. While I was there, I, I actually saw the first, I saw some weightlifting on TV, you know, back, uh, I think, 64 Olympics or something, but um, I first, the first actual snatch and clean and jerk I saw uh, was when the Athletes in Action with the Campus Crusade for Christ came through the, came to our campus, and it had Gary Glenny and Tom Hertz, and those are the first guys I actually saw do weightlifting, and I uh, never got into it then, but, you know, it sparked my interest, I thought it looked real neat, and then... Um, we had some real good shot putters at Western Kentucky, a guy named Jesse Stewart, who threw like uh, close to 70 feet. He was an NC2A champion. His brother, John, uh, threw over 60 feet, was the SEC champion when he was at Kentucky. He had three brothers threw over 60 feet, and they did weightlifting. Uh, Brian Oldfield, who used to, who just passed away a few weeks ago, used to come down and train there, and I'd see him doing snatches and cleans and jerks, and, you know, I thought that was great, so they sort of helped me out, and I got started doing it. I feel that's the, what helped me get that scholarship, you know, that half scholarship was the fact that I had started to do some weightlifting. And then uh, when I finished football in the spring of 1974, uh, Jesse took me to my first competition, which was in Glasgow, Kentucky. It was uh, Kentucky State Championships there. Huh, okay. Yeah, I, I remember seeing weightlifting for the first time on uh, Wide World of Sports. Uh, they used to do uh, basically different weight classes and throw them in against each other and use the body weight to total it out. Um, yeah. It's not the most popular sport in the United States, but I think because of CrossFit, it has grown immensely. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it definitely has it's increased. You know, I'm in the grocery store the other day, and I see this lady wearing a shirt that's got somebody doing a snatch or whatever on it, and I... You know, talked to her, and she said, "Yeah, somebody had a birthday party at the CrossFit, uh, one of the CrossFit boxes here in town, and had that shirt." I mean, ten years ago, you wouldn't see anything like that. I mean, people, you know, know what uh, what a snatch and clean and jerk is uh, a lot more than they used to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even 
let's say going back five years ago, there wasn't one CrossFit gym in Istanbul, and now I'm aware of about four or five. Yeah, I think we got uh, five or six in, in uh, Shreveport. So how did you choose, uh, I, I have to admit I'm terrible at pronunciation, uh, kinesiology as your a- academic discipline? Again, again, it goes back to the fact that um, I never did. I don't. I think I was a worse weightlifter than I was a football player. But um, <laughs> I was, you know, I love sports. I mean, I I just love it. You know, as um, uh, you know, baseball was my first love. I still have my uh, 500 or so baseball cards from the the, the, the uh, late 50s and early 60s, and I just wow. love sports, and uh, just wasn't that good. So I think what motiv- motivated me to, to to go back, the fact that I was always reading, you know, and trying to uh, learn more. I think one of the, the books that I first read that really got me was Bill Starr's Strongest Shell Survivor. And I thought that was neat. And I wanted to know more and more. And I um, looked into going to, to get a master's degree, which I did. And, and again, the idea was I wanted to learn more about uh, sports and sports performance and how maybe I could help somebody out, uh, somebody else out to perform better than, than I had. Uh, and, and, you know, you know, so I pursued, you know, I guess scientific methods. I was reading all the old Russian yearbooks back then from the 70s, uh, the translations, and was, you know, wanting to learn more about uh, uh, this, the science of sport. Interesting, interesting. Um, well, okay, from the science of sport uh, standpoint, uh, how do you see the snatch and the clean and jerk? I mean, obviously, that came about when they, I mean, it's, it's a sport that was designed um, when the modern Olympics, they decided to bring it back. They included weightlifting, and they basically created these lifts. Now... Uh, how, what, do, what is going on exactly in the snatch and clean and jerk from the standpoint of science? Well, you know, you could get real involved. There's a lot of, you know, detailed, uh, you know, studies that look at the biomechanics of the, of the snatch and the, and the clean and the jerk there. And we try to, you know, look at the, the model that's, uh, you know, that's the, the most efficient. Uh, according to, to the research there, and, and that's what we try to teach there. Yeah, definitely efficiency is important. Um, I always focus and, and tell athletes, um, you know, you want to keep the bar close. Um, you, you don't want to over-pull or under-pull. Uh, what are the things you notice with new lifters? Well, with the, the new lifters, and, you know, we we started to focus on getting the younger kids in here and you know that was when we started our program here about 20 years ago uh we tried to you know focus on uh recruiting the athletes between uh you know around 10 11 12 years old and work with them so we're real fortunate it's it's a it's a whole lot easier to work age group than to get somebody when they've already you know done another sport or particularly done some powerlifting or bodybuilding uh, it's it's so easy to work with those young kids, and we focus a lot on on learning to use the hips properly. Uh, back um, about 18 years ago or so, when they had the uh, Junior World Championships in, in Savannah, 
uh, this guy I'd been in touch with and had known named Gennady Hiskia. Gennady's originally from uh, Georgia's in Israel. He developed an instrument called the V-scope. Uh, the V-scope, uh, you put a little button on the end of the bar, and it worked off uh, ultrasound and infrared, and you had the box there that would pick up the signal, and instantaneously you could you would get the bow belt trajectory, and you could look at uh, velocity and acceleration at any point along there. You could look at it right away. It was a great tool to use. We used used it quite a bit with a lot of our young lifters, and in you know, in publishing some research there. And uh, Gennady came to the Junior Worlds, and we had just purchased this, and we had made arrangements for him to come and um, help us, you know, to, in in, op in operating it. Uh, but he wanted to talk about, he said, about weightlifting and about you know training and such. And you know, I was very open to hear what he had to say. And, and the big thing that he emphasized, he said, kids needed to use their hips, and he felt that the the young kids should do the lifts from. Uh, a power position uh, at the start of the second pull for two years so they wow. learn to use those those hips and legs and um, you know we actually I mean that was sort of the method of teaching that was standard with USA weightlifting and uh, at, the, at the time and and that which is proposed by the IWF of teaching from the top down there and so but his emphasis was to stay at that position you know, until you really learned it, the, the kids, you know, uh, needed to to work those hips and legs and know that, you know, second pull. Actually, we, I told him, well, one of the issues here in the U.S., you know, these kids are they're in, you know, in on their own. It's not like they've been selected in a talent ID program and are in a sports school and and such. And I said, you know, uh, you know, they'll want to compete and. Uh, he said, well, let them compete from, the, from that position. But uh, we published a study quite a few years ago called Young Weight Literature's Performance Across Time. And um, with the data we had, we had spent probably 75% uh, of the lifting from that uh, power position that people refer to it a lot as uh, in both the clean uh, and the snatch. And I think it was really helpful because then when we moved down, uh, you know, the work from the knee position and such, um, they knew where that position was. So when they, you know, they transitioned, when the hips came forward and then up, they knew where the bars should be because they'd worked from that position so long, and they really had that good second pull. So when you say starting at the power position, I'm imagining you're starting from the blocks? No, we would actually uh, go from the hang position more, okay. you know, because we'd have quite a few kids in here, and... I didn't think we had blocks at that time with the with the younger kids, but you know we we got some um, we had some of those uh, uh, what were they we had some Lyoko 7.5 kilo bars that I picked up in Finland at the World Championships and we were using those quite a bit. They had the the you know smaller diameter that that of the women's bar and so you know the idea too and I think it's so important is is we focused on the the speed of the movement. You know, with those younger kids, oftentimes, you know, before they've reached puberty, the gains in strength come from uh, motor unit recruitment and, you know, uh, neuromuscular factors there. So we felt that, you know, at that time to establish good movement patterns and that speed was very important, that the, that the, the strength would come later. So we worked with the very, very light weights uh, from that position to establish, um, you know, good, correct, and but fast 
movement patterns. Um, people always talk about technique and barbell trajectory, but if you can't accelerate the barbell, and to me that's part of technique as well. That's what's going to, you've got to be able to accelerate that barbell and get those high velocities to lift a lot of weight. And I believe the focus early on needs to be on that speed. And I see so often that, you know, coaches, you know, are concerned with how much weight is on the bar. I know that's, you know, it's hard. You've got to seek some sort of balance because it is weightlifting and that's how it's measured is how much you lift. But it's, it's so important at those early ages to establish those good movement patterns and particularly to be able to uh, move that barbell fast uh, in those correct uh, movement patterns. That's that's interesting because uh, a few weeks ago I was reading, uh, I can't remember what it was, maybe an article or there was something talking about that the speed, if you're doing the the lifts themselves, the snatch and clean and jerk, that the speed that you are doing them in should be replicated in the assistance exercises. So your back squat, your front squat, maybe mm. jerking from the rack. Yeah. What do you think about that? Mm. You know, I don't know about the squat so much. Um, I know we go squatting. We we um, we follow and, and with all our training, sort of follow a periodized program. So we're going pretty heavy on those squats there at uh, at different times there. So then the movement is more slow and deliberate. Yeah, for those type, you know, we sort of look at the the lifts and the the technical movements versus you know the strength movements there. Even though you can't really separate the two out, but you know, with with, with squatting, we will go heavy, so we're not really worried about uh, at least in preparation phases of, of how uh, you know fast we're moving the bar. Really trying to uh, you know lift some heavy weights and and, and gain some strength at that point. And from the standpoint of functional movement, um, how much do you think it should be the focus of the athlete? How much should it be the focus of the coach? Should the athlete just lift and think about technique and their speed and their movement? Um, or is there the chance that they could overanalyze coming up to the bar? Yeah, they, they can do that. Um, you know, you know, when they're young, they need that feedback, but, but not too often. I think sometimes weightlifting coaches give too much feedback. Um, you know, they they come they come in and, you know, uh, they don't even observe the athlete sometimes, and all of a sudden they're making corrections, you know, right away, and they correct every lift. It's like sometimes I see coaches want to change the technique anytime somebody misses. I always say that if a uh, weightlifting coach was a football coach, every time a quarterback through an incomplete pass you'd see him on the sideline doing some sort of throwing motion and you know <laughs> trying to change the throw I think sometimes I mean feedback is good but you know you got to watch for a little bit you know before you start making the corrections there yeah and, and I find a lot of lifters even more experienced lifters will say to me watch me lift and tell me what I'm doing wrong and, and they do one repetition and they expect to see some sort of uh, solution but yeah, that, that can't come that easily. You know, um, when I first started lifting, I, I mentioned I learned to, to lift in college there in Kentucky, and then I moved back home to Florida, and um, I trained with a guy named Foster Cather. And uh, Foster had, had learned a lot of technique uh, from Harvey Newton uh, up in the Daytona Beach area. And uh, I asked Foster uh, one time, I, said, I asked him the same thing. I 
bite my lip and, and tell me uh, what I do wrong. And he said, yeah, I'll watch him tell you what you do wrong. But he said, I, I'll also tell you what you do right as well. And that was a very important thing to me as, as far as a coach. And you read about it later when you study sports psychology about the positive feedback and such. And I think coaches oftentimes tend to just tell the athlete what they're doing wrong. And it's, it's just as important or more important to tell the athletes what they're doing right to, to, to reinforce those um, uh, correct things that they're doing as well. And, um, you know, because especially when you got kids, if it's over and over, you know, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you know, they just get discouraged. And, and I always try to sure. at least finish up with some positive thing. At the end of the day, I'd like, I always like to tell the kids, you know, this is what you did good today, you know. So always, you know, I know you have to correct and tell someone – you know, they, they know if you're always telling them they're good and they're not, you know, um, <laughs> they'll never believe you. So you got to tell them if they're doing something wrong. But I, I think you need to sometimes, you know, reinforce those uh, correct patterns there, correct things. Yeah, that, that's so true. Uh, my wife just happened to come one time and watch me coach and said, God, you don't say anything positive. Be more positive. <laughs> so I've really tried to incorporate that and look at it from that way. What were your first coaching experiences like? Oh, I just sort of, uh, God, I, I always thought of, you know, always wanted to be a coach. Um, I actually coached Little League Baseball when I was a, a senior in high school. I guess a kid, my dream job would have been to be the manager for the New York Yankees. But um, <laughs> but I, I, I love coaching. And uh, I think the first, the first kid I, I coached at a weightlifting competition was at a I think it was a, it was a 1975 fall of 75. There was a, a a great weightlifter by the name of Joe Pittman, who was from Vero Beach, Florida, and he used to hold a meet at the Vero Beach Recreation Center the first week in the first week in December. So I had I competed the year before. That was my first competition back out of Kentucky. It was December of 74, and the next year I had I competed, but also had had a young kid that I had. Uh, uh, taught to lift and brought him to the competition. Then I eventually got involved with some more coaching. I was in, you know, Florida has um, uh, weightlifting's a uh, a sport there. It's been an official sport, you know, from way back into the 70s. They do the bench press and clean and jerk. And of hmm. course, you know, we've gotten a lot of good weightlifters out of the, you know, uh, out of Florida there, and they they do that. They they talked about trying to change it to do the snatch and clean and jerk, but it's pretty much fueled by the uh, football coaches there. So and they're sticking with the bench press and clean and jerk. But a lot of the kids do make the good transition uh, afterwards, or even now they're, they're, they're still competing with the uh, Florida high school weightlifting, but they're, um, they're also getting involved with uh, USA weightlifting events as well. So I used to coach that back in the, the 70s. That got me involved uh, coaching then. Uh, you know, a lot way back, nobody, I mean, I taught myself how to lift. I didn't have a coach as such. I was trying to read things and learn things, and uh, I was taught to, to lift by banging the bar off my thigh and swinging it out. And I'd, I'd read the old, you know, the stuff, you know, in Strength and Health and stuff Tommy Kono wrote and, you know, all those guys and, and just try to ask questions and whatever. And I think it was really... Uh, there's a little clinic in um, down in Florida that Harvey Newton conducted, and and I think that was about the time Carl Miller had been going to to Bulgaria and 
and bringing back a lot of information. And we're talking about, I guess, you know, the the so-called double knee bend and the and you know the transition of the hips coming, you know, um, you know the knees bending uh, as the hips come forward uh, before the second pull there. So you know that's where I really first got into learning a little bit of uh, you know better technique there. And um, so then I was able. I felt like I was a more efficient coach. Um, then it, it helped my lifting, but also I was teaching, you know, more correct uh, things to the kids there. And what do you think about programming? Uh, you know, sometimes I think coaches think uh, writing a program is a cookie cutter kind of thing. Um, and of course, with new lifters, new athletes, I think that is relatively true. Um, but how do you look at programming as the athlete develops? Is there a special formula in terms of rep sets? Or well, do you just look at that athlete and say, wait a minute, th- I'm throwing this program out. Let's get you something different. Well, I've been influenced a great deal by Mike Stone. Mike and I have met at a weightlifting meet in um, uh, Florida State Championships, I think, in 1976, and then I went on and studied under him. Um, got my doctorate at Auburn under him. He continues to do a great amount of research, and um, of course, he did a lot with periodization. and And we follow that basic, you know, you know, block periodization, that classical, um, you know, from going from high volume to low volume over time and increasing the intensity. So, you know, we'll do like a you know, in the preparation phase, we have like what has been referred to as a high intensity endurance phase, which in our strength movements, we're doing, you know, 10 repetitions. Uh, and when we do 10 repetitions, I mean, I'm not talking about like 10 and being able to, you know, move to the next set, you know, a few minutes later. I mean, they're really getting after it. So we, we you know, at least one time in the cycle are trying to get a a, a, a record you know, lift for the what repetitions we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people will go, you know, they generally say 10 reps at uh, 60 to 75%, but we got some athletes that go way up into the 80s there. Wow. Um, you know, Kendrick Fair done uh, 250 for 10 repetitions in the back squat. Um, <sighs> you know, full full squat, no belt, no, no wow. knee wraps, no nothing. So, and we're really, you know, pushing it hard in that phase there so um you know uh, of course we'll have the lighter days and such but generally in that in that phase also we'll work uh our our technique lifts uh for five repetitions and we generally work from that power position again we go back to that even with the advanced lifters we'll go back and really work you know sometimes from the block and sometimes from the hang for that to work on that second pull now, at least once a week, though, we're doing full movements of snatch and clean and jerk. But the focus in that particular phase is to work that second pull from the power position. You know, we'll do we'll do snatch and clean grip deadlifts for high volume there and such. And then we'll do that, you know, in a three to four week phase uh, and then move to the next phase, which we refer to as a basic strength, where the strength movements now move down to five repetitions and the uh, lifting movements are three repetitions. And the focus in here, again, even though we're doing some you know, full lifts, uh, the focus here is, is on the knee and, and on the transition into the you know, second pull there. 
for snatch and clean. Uh, then in our, our third phase is, a, is more of a strength power phase where we cut the strength movements down to three repetitions. We don't do anything uh, more when we go to we go to the ground then and then we're working single repetitions but we'll do clusters of, of uh, up to three so I, I always feel like if you start doing repetitions from the ground it's such a complex movement that the second one's not um, exactly like the first one so at that point we're getting more sport specific so we might do a cluster though we generally do clusters where we you know we might do um, do a rep and then stay on the platform, rest 30 seconds, get set, adjust the weights, and then take uh, take another one and then a third one the same way. Uh, and then the final phase is uh, generally a two-week peaking phase where we're, we're snatching and cleaning jerking every day. Um, and then finally a taper phase and then the competition. And that's, that's what we've used with, with most of our athletes once they've learned to lift. Uh, We'll, we'll use that sort of programming. With the younger kids, we still sort of follow that five reps from the power position and 10 reps for strength movements. Uh, but we'll stay in that phase a long time. As I mentioned, we try to, try to in the first two years, those kids are working probably 75% uh, of the time from that power position. And then we'll work from the knee a, a small bit. And then with them, just every so often, will we start um, you know, doing full movements. Now, in the meantime, though, we talk about the you know teaching the top down, but we're also working deadlifts, deadlifts to the knee. Uh, we're talk, we're doing pulls and things like that. So, okay. uh, so I guess you'd say we, we use that sort of sandwich approach uh, with our teaching. We're working from the top down and the and the bottom up as well. But yeah, we spend a lot more time uh, with actually the younger kids do a lot more lifts than the older kids. So with beginners, we're actually working the lifts a whole lot more than we are working strength. Um, you know, I just feel that, that uh, and, and also when you talk about strength and technique, I think they're hard to separate. You know, they're just intertwined. Uh, you know, does, does someone round their back because they have a, a bad technique, or do they round their back because they're weak and they can't flatten their back? If you coach a lot of sports, if, if there's certain weaknesses, you know, if you're throwing the shot put and you can't hold certain positions, you know, somebody will say you have bad technique, but if you get stronger, oftentimes you're able to hold those positions. So I think they, they go hand in hand. So, uh, but again, we, we focus more on the lifts with the younger kids and more on the strength with those uh, that have um, hopefully, ideally, you know, learned good technique. And how much um, do you think about actually the lifter's body type? Um, you know, the arm length versus torso versus leg length. You know, ideally, you know, uh, you'd be able to, you know, do talent ID, you know, and that, that's part of talent ID. And you know, those countries that have been successful in weightlifting have done that. but. You know, um, even though we got more people involved in weightlifting these days, you still, oftentimes, you know, you don't turn anybody away. Whoever comes through the door, you, you know, that's what you got to work with there. Yeah. Uh, you know, work at it long enough and have long enough hours. You know, hopefully, eventually, somebody with some talent will come in the gym there. So. Yeah, <laughs> I get. Yeah, I guess it's like fishing a bit. Yeah, you know, another thing I, I wanted to bring up as far as teaching. Uh, that may be a little unique with us is 
oftentimes people will teach uh, power snatch, power clean early on, and then move into the you know transitional lifts, and that that works well. But we we get the kids to squat under the bar as soon as possible. In other words, even the first day, if they come in, we focus on the snatch and we're doing overhead squats. And usually, kids, you know, at that age, you know, they you got that bar in the. It's like a cheerleader jump. I've always said, you know, you got you throw your hands over your head, and, <laughs> and then you do a squat. You know, yeah. and some of the one of the reasons, or several of the reasons, why we do the squat early on, um, I think number one, it. Um, you know, it develops, you know, they're not going to be afraid of the bar if they become weightlifters. Uh, the other thing is they don't kick those feet out so wide like you see so many uh, kids do when they start learning to do those, they start doing those heavy power cleans. And another thing, it, it uh, they have to stay light, you know, no straps with the younger kids. And, and they develop so many good athletic abilities, you know, you know, you're developing coordination, agility, balance. And, and, and whatever by doing that full squat snatch and you know that, that works well with the kids I mean other people have different methods but that's worked well with us and some of our kids you know didn't do a power clean or power snatch until they were they'd been lifting for two years really yeah so I, I think two years wow. yeah and so I think you know and and you know you know, people could maybe argue the other way that they need to be introduced to those lifts earlier on. But I really like the idea of, you know, early on to have them, you know, squat under that weight. Because once they did it, they never they never had that fear of going under the barbell. And they were developing a lot of good skills. And, of course, you know, early on, the kids can do power cleans and power snatches a lot more efficiently than they can uh, squatting under the bar. Um, and of course, they'll go a little bit heavier because they can, you know, do those movements. But I think, you know, we were best by keeping the weight light and learning to go, go under that barbell early on as soon as possible. Well, that that is definitely one of the big issues I always see. Um, the athlete is afraid to get under the bar or not comfortable getting under the bar. So that makes sense. Um, is it important, you think, to learn to get under the bar from a hang position or what we said before, the power position? Um, it seems like you focus on that more than learning to get under the bar from the start position. Yeah, they're learning to get under the bar from that. When they're focusing on working that power position, uh, doing those five repetitions with the young kids, um, every one of those is into a full squat there once they you know, get the technique down there. So they're just, you know, pulling and going under, pulling and going under. And then, you know, as we go into the next phases, working from the knee and then from the grave, develop that confidence and that coordination and agility to go, go under that bar. Okay, I'm going to push that with my lifters then. We're going to start getting them more used to getting under the bar sooner because I, I usually focus on the power clean, power snatch. Um just as a way of them learning from the floor. And, and a lot of my athletes, they are confused if they can't lift from the floor. They yeah. see it on TV, and they see these guys and women lifting from the floor. Yeah. So they don't understand all those assistance exercises. Oh, yeah. uh, uh-huh. We've actually used that with other athletes as well. It's interesting. Uh, uh, I used to always sort of feel that football players and you know such should you know, just do power snatch, power clean. I had a local football coach that, um, 
he 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 can he's the one that convinced me to do more of the the squat movements. He said with his football players, he could tell who would hit somebody that uh, if they go into the bar, they'd usually hit somebody on the field. He said he could tell from the weight room how they were going to perform on the football field. It made me think a little bit more, and you know, think the other thoughts too. We've had kids that uh, train quite a few golfers in here, and. Um, you know, we would even with the golfers, they were doing the full squat movement just because they were young and developing the coordination and agility and, and such. Yeah. Really? Golfers? Squat? Yeah. Yeah, he has that. Squat snatching, squat climbing. But, but now that we're talking about, we're, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. So, ah, okay, okay. Yeah, as, as young kids, again, I think, you know, that, that full squat snatch is just a tremendous, you know, it's just a great, you know, athletic movement there. Well, I was going to ask you that because I mentioned uh, to you that I'm going to start as a strength and conditioning coach for an American football team in Istanbul, which yeah. seems like a duck out of water. And I was going to avoid uh, snatch and squat snatching because I felt that the athlete would think, eh, this is a different discipline than learning to be powerful in football. So often, I remember growing up, it was the bench press. Yeah. Um, but you really feel that the, teaching them this Well, much? now, again, these are, well, I'm, I'm talking about kids. You know, one of the problems you get when you've uh, got adults, you know, or, you know, they've been doing some other things. Uh, uh, several years ago, we had uh, some we, we had in Shreveport they play the Independence Bowl here, and I think Texas A and M was playing in it. And uh, the strength coaches came over, to, uh, you know, to our place, and you know, working out what we did there. And and the guys, um, yeah, said, uh, God, what's your secret to success for those kids to be able to do the front squats? We start them when they're 11 years old, and you know, because the issue over there is they they they've been doing bench presses so much. Um, over there in Texas, powerlifting is a big sport in Texas, and they, they come in there, their, their, their arms are so big they can't rack the bar to do a clean or, a, or any kind of uh, jerk or push press or anything. Um, so, yeah, sometimes, you know, some of those guys that have been doing it a while are, are a little tight, and maybe they're best doing the power snatch, power clean. You know, I guess, a, 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 you know, in an ideal situation when you got those kids and they're so flexible, you know, it's easier to, to do that. And sometimes it's a challenge with the uh, older athletes. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. When I was training in Tunisia uh, at the local club in City Busaid, um, the coach there, he had a lot of young lifters. They were, of course, accomplished lifters who competed in the African Championships and other events. But with those younger lifters, he really was about just getting them into broad jump and then yeah. doing things with the broomstick and then doing things with the bar because their flexibility is completely open at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of Tunisia, North Africa, uh, what's it like coaching in Ghana? Oh, it's wonderful. It's, yeah? It's wonderful. I, I love going there. I love the people there. Um, you know, the, the, the kids work real hard and... Um, I've really enjoyed that experience. I, I went there. Uh, I do some of the uh, solidarity courses, coaching solidarity courses uh, through the International Weightlifting Federation. And I've, I was asked to come to Ghana. Actually, they were looking for somebody to go there for two months. 
in the summer of 2014. So as a college professor, you know, summer school is optional. So I took off teaching in the summer and went there to do primarily coaching education. There was some issues with the coach. He was on suspension there at the time. And uh, they took me to uh, Glasgow with them uh, to the Commonwealth Games. So I, I coached them there. And ever since, I've coached them at uh, international meets, coached them at the African Games and, and the Congo in 2015, and then, you know, at the World Championships, and then uh, here recently at the, at the Olympics. Uh, we actually qualified. Ghana had a woman uh, lift on a wild card in London, but uh, we actually, uh, you know, we, we, we went to uh, the Continental Qualification, which was in Cameroon, uh, last, uh, I think it was in, yeah, in May, uh, April, May uh, time frame, and we uh, we brought a, we brought six lifters that would qualify, uh, and everyone totaled, and so we finished fifth and and actually qualified. So that was big for Ghana uh, to actually you know to qualify uh, a weight a weightlifter there. So got a lot of kids going. The whole idea is to train coaches and. And they're getting a lot more kids involved in the in the sport there, so. Uh, and congrats on winning their Coach of the Year award. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate that. You mentioned uh, Kendrick Ferris. Yeah. Uh, but how is it doing double duty? I mean, you're coaching a guy who's elite in the U.S., and then you're coaching people who are halfway around the world. Um, do you do that? at all using the internet or are you really a believer and I've got to be there in the gym with my athletes? Well, I guess you, you know, use the internet some, but I like, you know, the idea of being in the, in the gym, but you know, Kendrick came in here when he was 11 years old. He's 30 now, be 31 this summer. So it's like, he's, he's pretty much, you know, it's not like I, I you know, I always love to be in the gym with him, but you know, he pretty much knows what, to do and what to get done there, uh, he, he's he's very knowledgeable on on you know techniques and, and and programs and such there, and so we we talk a lot. I actually didn't coach him at the Olympic trials because I was with Ghana at the uh, uh, African Championships, the qualifying event. Uh, Danny Schlag, one of our uh, uh, was a, a graduate assistant here and, and uh, a lifter and, and uh, coach. He actually coached Kendrick uh, there at the uh, uh, Olympic trials uh, this past year. I came back, though, uh, and I was the men's coach for the uh, Pan Am team for the qualification in uh, Columbia. You know, we're together a lot, and right now we have the one uh, lifter that went to uh, the Olympics uh, for Christian Amoa is 17 years old. Yeah. He's been here since yeah. January training with us. And yeah, the, that that interests me. Um, was that uh, you mentioned earlier? The IWF has a, a solidarity program. Was that done through the solidarity program? Uh, with him recently? No. Yeah. No, that was that was through the Ghana Weightlifting Federation and. You know, our, our weightlifting club and some different individuals that are just helping out there. So, uh, yeah, we, we do. And how's he like in the U.S.? How's oh, he, he like in training? He, lo- he lo- I've got to go back, but I think we're going to, he's going to come back with some other lifters. Uh, 
Oh, good. Uh, the president of weightlifting in Ghana uh, last month was elected president of the Olympic Committee, Ben Minsa. And so I mm-hmm. think we're going to see a lot more things happen because of that with, with, uh, with weightlifting there. And how important do you think that is, these kinds of exchange programs? I, I was talking to this about uh, with Jim Schmitz, and he was saying that, yeah, it's good, but uh, in his days, uh, American lifters were going to the Soviet Union or Bulgaria and learning the dirty way. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I think it's got to be a positive going forward in this day and age with the reality of you're you're going to get caught or you're at least able to experience something and improve other people at the same time as you improve. I think, you don't know if this will answer your question, but I'm big on the concept of Olympism and, and really preach that to our kids. And, uh, you know, the idea that, you know, sport is part of life, you know, that education is important, culture is important, you know, the whole idea of, of, of excellence, friendship, respect, all those Olympic values there. Uh, and I, I have a friend in Japan, uh, Junichi Okada, he's a biomechanics professor at Waseda University and also coaches weightlifting. And 10 years, we had met years ago when I worked out at the NSCA office and um, he came to visit me about 10 years ago with the idea that he'd like to send some weightlifters over here uh, to do English as a second language in the morning and uh, train in the afternoon and do some cultural social things in the evening and we've done that for nine years now. Uh, really? We'll have anywhere from six to eight athletes. They stay in, in the homes of some families of the younger kids in our programs or they'll stay with the lifters. It was real neat. Um, a couple of our lifters are from Mar- uh, Maryland, uh, uh, Tyler and Zach. There, they uh, uh, they had some extra rooms up there in the university housing. So Christian's actually living up there with them, and then one of the Japanese lifters uh, stayed there when they were here for two and a half weeks. I thought that was pretty neat. You had two, you had four weightlifters in in a little apartment there. You had. Two, two Americans, a, a lifter from Ghana and, and one from Japan. Uh, it, it, it's neat. Those, I think those international experiences are, are wonderful. It's great when the Japanese come here. We've had the, the French team is trained here. The Colombian team is trained here. Um, yeah, one of our, our girls, Erin uh, Wallace, she, she married uh, Carlos Andica and she lives down in Colombia, but she's still competing. She'll compete in the national championships here. So, I, you know, it's sort of neat. We've had the Canadian team, particularly in Quebec, they've come down here for years. And I think it's wonderful. Again, you know, I think it's great to have, you know, because occasionally you get some really good, I mean, Oscar Figueroa uh, trained here with us. So you get some really great lifters, and it motivates the lifters here. Uh, but also, you know, again, like I, I like that. That whole thing of that cultural, social education thing is is part of sport. That's important. I, you know, you, you, you know, studying sports psychology about how you know athletes like to know that the coach values them as a person and not just for their performance. Oftentimes, athletes should feel that the the coach just values them as far as you know 
how well they perform. Uh, it's oftentimes a more anxious athlete, more competition anxiety because they feel that pressure to please the coach. But I think sometimes that's reduced when you know that the, the athlete knows that the coach cares for that athlete as a person, that they're concerned with their education and you know what's going on in their family life and and you know what what's going on with their careers and and things like that. Uh, people will always ask me, they'll say, well, aren't you proud of Kendrick and the fact that he, you know, made three Olympic teams and won the Pan Ams? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of Kendrick for that, but I'm even more proud of Kendrick for the fact that he's, you know, he's a, he's a good person. You know, he, he does a lot of things to help people back in his old neighborhood. You know, he's a good father. He's a good husband. He's good, you know, he takes care of his mother, all his family. So, you know, I'm, I'm more proud of him for those things than I am, you know, what he's done in sport. Nice, nice. Yeah, uh, well, two things. One, if you have a program that involves bringing people to the United States to learn English and weightlifting, I'm your guy because I'm an English teacher and a weightlifting coach. Uh, The other thing is I I agree with that. I mean, there's got to be an element of fun and enjoyment. And I think when you bring people together from other cultures, that happens. You're learning, you know, you're experiencing – and that opens up the door for some fun and laughter. Yeah, well, it's, oh, it's a great time. You know, we actually had one of their uh, weightlifters uh, came back and got his master's degree here. One of the kids that had been on that, one of those, he came twice on those trips. And he came back, named Seichiro Takai, I hope I pronounced the last name right. But um, he came here to get his master's. He worked here for a year. He actually works on with CrossFit and um uh, now he's back in Japan working on his doctorate under Janichi. But, you know, those experiences that he had here were wonderful. His English improved, you know, uh, immensely. So, you know, he's just one, one, one example there. Yeah, and uh, I think getting back to the Olympic spirit, that, that's what it's about. It's about yeah. getting together in a positive way through sport. Yeah. Um, Kyle, I, I want to say thank you so much. Thank you. For the time to be on here. Uh, I really would love to have you back because I, I barely scratched the surface on some topics. Yeah, I'd really like to do that. Okay, super. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk a bit more about, uh, you know, you've had these elite athletes. You know, we talk about Kendrick Ferris, Christian Amoa. Uh, I want to talk about meat preparation, the progress of an elite lifter. I want to talk a bit more about your center there in Shreveport. And also about American weightlifting. Uh, where do we go from here to be more competitive? It seems like there are more positives and there's more going on with WADA to control the doping issue. And I'm curious how you, you see that then going forward with the sport. But again, thank you, uh, Mr. Kyle Pierce. All right. For being, being on today. Thank you, Dave. Uh,